0: So I'm reading from 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 to 21. If you've got one of our church Bibles, it's number 1228. So that's chapter 5, verse 13 to 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, by being in his son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols.
1: Thanks uh, for reading that, Sophie. Um, Morning everybody, morning again. Um, My name is Josh, and um, I, I work for Christ Church Liverpool. I'm one of the the leaders here. Um, And I'm going to be um, speaking to you about what was read in that um, little bit from the Bible just now. So please do keep that open in front of you if you've got it on paper or um, keep the the device open um, on that page, because I'll be referring to that as we go through. Now, um, as we come to the Bible, we believe it is God's word to us. So I'm going to pray so that, um, well, for God's help as we read his word. Let's pray. Father God. As we now come to hear from you, we do pray that we will understand what you say, but more than that, we will encounter you. We will hear you speak to us. We pray that um, we won't find this just interesting, but that this will be speaking to our hearts. And we know that your Holy Spirit has been given so that we can have that experience of meeting you in your word. So we pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us. Um, As we listen and as I speak now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, One of the most exciting things that's happened to me this week um, has been that I've rediscovered my O2 Priority Moments app. Now, if you know what the O2 Priority Moments app is and you've got it and you use it on a regular basis, this is going to sound really ordinary and mundane, okay? But this has been an exciting thing for me this week. If you don't know what this app is, uh, anyone who is a customer of the mobile phone provider O2 gets to download an app on the phone and that app gives you, entitles you to um, various voucher codes for discounts and special offers and even free things. So my discovery this week has been, some of you may have been doing this for years, but for me this week is the first time I've been able to get a free coffee. From Cafe Nero. There's a Cafe Nero just around the corner from where I walk uh, work. So there I was on, on Tuesday morning, strutting out of Cafe Nero with my deluxe mint hot chop chip hot chocolate with extra cream, feeling pretty smug about myself, because I got it for free. And on a Friday, you can go to the next door shop, which is Greg's, and get yourself a free slice of pizza. So I've been feeling pretty smug about myself this week, walking around with all my freebies because I've rediscovered it on this app. Now, the exciting thing for me is not just, you know, getting a hot chocolate or getting a pizza, but rediscovering the fact that I already have access to that on my phone. I didn't need to sign up to anything. It wasn't at any extra cost. It was already mine. It was something that I already had that I was perfectly entitled to, and I've rediscovered that I can tap into that every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and every Friday. Isn't it great to discover something that's already yours? You've got every right to use it, and you can just tap into using it straight away. Well, what if you discovered today that you had a privilege that you'd not been tapping into? Wouldn't you want to start using it? Well, this book that we've been going through this term, this book called One John, culminates in today's passage, which is the final passage in the whole letter. And as it wraps up and kind of climaxes, this letter ends by saying that if you believe in the real Jesus, you do have three wonderful privileges that are yours to start using straight away not coffee and pizza uh, but privileges spiritually uh, privileges in your walk with god daily that god has determined you you make the most of because they're your privileges to enable you to uh, walk in the way that christians should to keep believing in jesus and walk with him for the rest of your life verse 13 begins today's passage but it's actually a bit more of a closing statement of the whole letter Where John tells us in verse 13, he tells his recipients why he's written the letter and what he wants them to get out of the letter. So he says in verse 13, I write these things. So in other words, I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. So that's been John's end goal in everything he's written so far in the letter. And it's been our end goal as we've been preaching this and teaching this to you this term. We really hope that anyone who's an authentic believer in the real Jesus, so people who believe what John teaches about Jesus, that he was a real human being, but also the son of God who laid down his life for us and we can be forgiven because of that. Well, anyone who believes that, by reading 1 John, you will grow in certainty. You'll know that you have eternal life. That's what John is saying he wants people to to know as a result of this letter. That's what we have been hoping that you've tasted as you've gone through this letter. Because you believe the real Jesus, you know you have eternal life. And that's what John says as he closes the letter. But for John... Eternal life isn't this sort of um, kind of a lump sum payment that you're one day going to get at the end. He doesn't want you to know you have, you will have eternal life. To know that you have the hope of of eternal life far away distant in the future. For John, he he means that you have eternal life and it begins right now. There are parts of eternal life that you get to experience already. And that's why he doesn't end his letter in verse 13, saying, I've written this so that you can be really encouraged that one day you'll get eternal life. But he's saying, no, I want you to know that you, you have eternal life already. And so from verse 14, John goes on to spell out some implications of that. If you know you have eternal life, well, there are some other things that presumably you'll know as well. And that's what John says, he uses his phrase, we know, repeatedly, as he points us to three wonderful truths. And the first one of these wonderful privileges that are yours, if you know you have eternal life, the first one is there in verses 14 to 17, we know we have community prayer to deal with sin. The first place John goes when he draws out this implications of knowing you have eternal life, If you know you have eternal life, well, the first thing John says is, well, you can have confidence in prayer. So look down at verses 14 and 15. This is what he says. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have what we asked of him. To help get our hands around this, I always find this this photograph that's going to come up on the screen a helpful image. I don't know, I think maybe, because I've used it before, it might be an overused Christian cliché. Let me explain what you're seeing. Um, This is um, John F. Kennedy, who was the president of the USA in the 60s, and he's sitting at his desk in the Oval Office. And peeping out from beneath that desk, playing with his toys, is the president's son. And what I find particularly uh, moving or stirring about this picture is that this portrays one of the most powerful men in the world, very, very important, and he's busy. And you can only imagine that he must be busy with something that is more important than you and I can ever imagine on the global stage. And if anyone wants to come and speak to this man, he's so important that you probably need to make an appointment months in advance. You'll have to go through security clearance, you'll have to get through the guards at the front gate, the guards at the front door, have your bags checked, go through all the security checks, probably go through more secret service checks. In other words, this man is so incredibly important that he's incredibly inaccessible. Don't really know if he's got time for you. And yet, in this photo, we learn that there is somebody who's not very important, somebody who's not a head of state, somebody who's not highly qualified, somebody who we, I don't even know whether this guy can read or write. And yet, this person can go right in, right into the centre, right into the most guarded, most important place of all, and he can play with his toys under the desk. It's not because he's qualified, it's because he's his son. Because he's the son of the president, and the president loves him. And that's a weak image of the same thing that people who follow Jesus get with God. I mean, God isn't sat at a desk in the Oval Office. He's got the universe to uphold. He is ordering every moment of every human action, every atom. And yet John says, if you know Jesus loves you, and you rely on that, well, then you are God's child. And what that means is you can do to God what the president's son can do to the president. You can go straight in there with no qualifications other than the name, the name of Jesus. And you know, you will know that the holy, important, powerful God is not too busy to turn his ear to you and hear what you're going to pray for. And he is willing to give what you ask for. But then John applies that wonderful, comforting truth to us in what I think is probably an unfamiliar way to most of us. You see, if it's true that God hears our prayers, if it's true that he, he gives us whatever we ask when it's in his will, well, what should we pray for? That's what we did with the kids just now eight sandwiches an orange what should we pray for well John says verse 16 you can pray for another Christian who sinned in your Bible you might have a, a paragraph gap between verse 15 and verse 16 but it really is I think carrying on the, the same idea we know what we have when we we know we have what we've asked of God when we ask him and verse 16 says well you can pray You can pray for something, you can ask for something, and it is for a believer who has sinned. Now John goes on to caveat this, that he means, uh, he's talking about sin that doesn't lead to death, um, and not sin that does lead to death, and that can get a little bit confusing. And what I take it John is talking about in verse 16 is that people who believe in Jesus are by definition people whose sin is confessed and forgiven. And for that reason... There is nothing that they have done or will do that will lead to death because their sin is dealt with. So anyone who's a Christian, whenever they do something wrong, it doesn't lead to death because that's forgiven. But on the other hand, there are people who deny Jesus. They refuse to confess sin and their sin, well, it does lead to death. That's what I take it he means in Vindler, verse 16, when he says there is sin that leads to death. That's anything that remains unforgiven because the person's not willing to, to come and bring it to Jesus. So if you've read this verse and got the idea that there's some mysterious kind of unforgivable sin going on here, that, you know, you might have committed the sin that leads to death. Well, don't worry, it's not about that. It's simply the distinction between someone who trusts in Jesus who slips up versus someone who refuses Jesus. And John says, well, for a Christian then, you can be praying for them when they slip up. Because it's not like the sin of a Christian is is any less serious. It's not like when a Christian sins, you you can bat it away because you know it's been forgiven. He says in verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, actually. So even when a Christian sins, we know it's not going to lead to death, but it is bad. It is serious. And we need to acknowledge that Christians who sin are doing something really, really awful And in this letter, John has said that anyone who's got Jesus in them ought not to sin anymore. And for John, this is quite an important application in the whole letter, that everyone who has eternal life is now walking this lifelong journey of learning how Jesus in us means we throw away sin. But God will help us in that. God will help us in this journey where we're putting off sin. But he helps us in a way that you might not imagine. Because according to this bit of 1 John, that help to put off sin is given to us in the form of other Christians praying for us. For John, that's how we engage in the battle to put away sin from our lives and become more like Jesus in our purity. John calls it earlier in the letter, he says, Christians live in the light And we saw that that was bringing sin to light through confessing it to one another, that the authentic community that comes up when when people whose common experience is being humbled and being forgiven, if that's our common experience, then this authentic community that forms is a community of people who are open, who live in the light about their sin, but know that it gets forgiven. And John thinks that having this amazing access to God as his children... Well, he thinks you can use that guaranteed answer to prayer to kind of foster that, that communal confession and repentance and forgiveness. You can use your guaranteed answer to prayer to, to pray for other Christians as they are going through this journey of learning to put off sin. I love that, but I have to admit that's not what I'd initially thought to do with a promise of guaranteed prayer. But that is a marvellous way to view our privilege as children of God. So you know you have eternal life. Well, engage in this wonderful pattern of believer-supporting believer into repentance. Because we can use our God-given privileged access to pray for the other person. So John says... To people who've read this letter and who've gotten this wonderful assurance of eternal life. If we have eternal life, then we know that God is willing and he promises to answer the kind of prayer that help other believers in their struggle against sin. If we know we have eternal life, then we know that God will answer the kind of prayer that we pray to help other believers in their struggle with sin. And that's your privilege. And perhaps for you today, that's an untapped privilege. But can you imagine a church where this authentic, confessing, non-judging, forgiven community just keeps tapping into that access to God, saying, well, I can take this straight to God. I know him. I can go right up there, right into the inner inner room, and I can bring this to God on your behalf. Imagine being the sort of community where you know others are doing that for you. So because we get a taste of eternal life right now, blessing number one is that we get to pray for one another in our battle against sin. But our experience of eternal life is also that we have profound assurance that we won't ever actually become overcome by that sin we're battling. We won't be overwhelmed by the sin and temptation. That's because blessing number two, we can have, we know we have family protection to keep from evil. We have family protection to keep from evil. Number two. Number Because that confidence that we have that God is committed to answering prayers for other Christians who slip up comes from knowing the wider truth that Jesus protects those who belong to him from being overwhelmed by temptation and evil desires. That's a wider truth that John would have us tap into. John knows that anyone who trusts in Jesus does live in a world where we do encounter evil. We encounter evil out there, and we encounter temptation in here. And we experience that daily. And so John says, well, we know that. We know, verse 19, we know that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And John knows full well that if that is your daily life, this encountering evil out there and a battle inside... It would be all very well saying, I write this to you so you know you have eternal life, when actually life right now feels like you're fighting a losing battle all the time. And so John wants us to know that eternal life right now means that you can know that you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then there's family protection from the evil you face out there and the evil you battle in here. John has referred to Christians in verses 18 and 19 in a way that he's been doing throughout the letter. He says in verses 18 and 19 that we are born of God and that we are children of God. And they're not throwaway lines. That's really important for John, really important for him that Christians see themselves as part of a family. He wants you to see yourself as a child in a family, but also a child in a family where one of the family members rules the whole world. Because in verse 18... John refers to Jesus when he says, the one who was born of God. So he says, you're born of God, and there is one who was born of God, Jesus, who keeps you safe. So someone in that same family, if you like, you are one of God's children, and also the son of God is the one who keeps you safe. Now, that's not a technical theological kind of point that John's making. For John, that's actually really, really practical, but you see yourself as a son of God, a child of God, and the son of God keeps you safe. Because John's saying if we have eternal life, we do face evil out there and, and evil in here. But we can know that because we are sons and daughters of God, the son of God won't ever let that evil have the final word. Jesus is winning the battle for your heart and desires. And he's changing you so that verse 18 can be true. Well, we know that no one born of God continues to sin or anyone who's born of God does not continue to sin. And Just to be clear, he's not saying in in verse 18 that no Christian will ever sin from here on in. And he's not either saying that nothing bad ever happens to Christians. He's saying, you know, don't you, that Jesus rule over the world means that he will not let evil stay in residence in the heart of his brothers and sisters. You know, don't you, that Jesus ruling over the world means he won't let evil stay in residence in the heart of his brothers and sisters. And he won't let anything in the world derail that either. I think that gives us confidence, but I think that confidence and assurance is something that I'm probably in the habit of forgetting. In fact, I think I live a lot of my life... uh, confess this I think I live a lot of my life as if most of these statements in verses 18 and 19 are not true I think that most of the time I probably do operate as though anyone born of God does continue to sin you know it's just kind of normal and we get on with it I think that I operate as if there is no son of God to keep me from evil I feel bad about having to do it on my own and I think I operate as though some of the world is under the control of the evil one, but, but, but you know, most of it's fine. And I can just do what others are doing and, and love what others are doing. Well, John reveals to me that that's a rubbish way of living if I have eternal life. If I've got eternal life, I know that I'm being made new in a nature that hates sin. I know that I have the Son of God to lean on. And he wants to keep me from evil taking root in my life. And I know that this will mean I look strange in the world. And that's okay. And God wants me and he wants you to know that we have this, this blessing of eternal life right now. That we've got that family protection to keep from evil. And so we can face a world of evil and evil in here with, with confidence that Jesus is putting that off. And we can depend on that privilege straight away. Now, after talking about two privileges of eternal life that we get to tap into straight away that help us living for Jesus, John's final we know, the final privilege he's going to mention, is one that keeps us not just living for Jesus, but believing the truth about Jesus. And it's this, the third one, we know we have divine revelation to guard from false belief. We know we have divine revelation to guard from false belief. Now, I mentioned in the evening service a few weeks ago, um, some of you will have been there, you might remember, I mentioned that we as a family are going to get our bathroom redone. Um, It has been redone by now, which is lovely. Um, But that has meant that in the last couple of months, um, we've spent some time um, looking into buying uh, bathroom things online, toilets and sinks and showers, screens and all the rest of it. And when you're buying important things like You know, like stuff that's going to last you a long time, like a toilet or a bath. It starts to become really important to you that you get the right one. You know, you don't want to make a mistake with these kind of things. And so we've spent a lot of time reading online reviews. Now, I don't know if you've gone through that process of feeling like there's something important you're buying and you have to read all the online reviews. But I find that it just leaves me feeling more confused and unsure than ever. Because you see a product, you think it looks good, and you see it's got loads of five-star reviews. And so you decide that you're not going to trust them because they might not be genuine. And so you start focusing on all the negative reviews for it. And you do think, well, yes, there are problems with this. You see what are the the problems other people have had. Then you start believing those things. It might not actually end up being a problem for you. You start to come to realize that of all these options of different toilet seats they've all got problems none of them are really going to be that good and you start to wonder whether you're ever going to buy one that will be okay in your bathroom because what we were trying to do is we were trying to use public opinion and people's own tales of their experience we're trying to use that to gauge which path we should take but it's just really hard to know who you can trust and what is really true And I think there are a lot of people who feel that way, about knowing what's really true about God. There are lots of different religions, but also in our culture, there's this distrust of organized religion. So we find around us both lots of religions, but also attempts to engage in generic spirituality, so that you just find something that kind of works for you. Or maybe just giving up on the the whole endeavor and just being indifferent to what's true about God. But John has always been really insistent in this letter that there is a truth. There is a true God there. And John is really insistent in his letter that that true God can be known because he's made himself known. And he's made himself known in Jesus. And John knows that we can know all we need to know about the true God by meeting Jesus. And Jesus can be known Because John's met him. Jesus came in the flesh. He was a real physical human being who entered human history with times and dates, and you can check it out, and there were eyewitnesses. So the truth about Jesus is, is plainly known, and he makes the truth about God known. So John knows that the truth about God isn't subject to public opinion or online reviews. The truth about God is explicit in Jesus, and Jesus is explicit in history. And so John ends his letter in a similar way to how he began it by directing people to the fact that there is this historical man you can know about. And in that, you discover the true God. And that is also a blessing of knowing that you have eternal life. That knowing the true God is is yours if you have eternal life. Because, well... If you have eternal life, that's because you've come to Jesus, right? But if you've come to Jesus, well, then you must know the true God. If you've come to Jesus, you are encountering God in the, in the most real, the only authentic way possible. And Perhaps there are some of you who are here today who maybe do feel sceptical or closed off to the idea of God. Or maybe you are somebody who resonates with that idea that it does kind of feel impossible to really know for sure what is true about God. And I want to say that I feel actually really grateful that you've come today and that you've stuck around to listen. We believe in God and we believe that he makes himself known in Jesus. And so I'd love it if you went away from today considering this line in verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. The writer means by that that there is a true God you can know and you will find him in the historical person of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the Son of God. So before you do anything else, I think it's important to consider where you stand on that. But as a church, we love nothing more than introducing people to Jesus, because we think that in him you'll encounter the true God. If you think there's something to that, um, then we would love to tell you more about Jesus. But I'm also supposing that there's probably a number of you here today who, who actually are persuaded of this already. A number of you will probably be persuaded already that Jesus did really come in history, and you've staked your life on that. You really do trust That in him you meet the true God. Well, if that's you, John ends by saying to you, verse 21, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Now that phrase is a little bit unusual for John because he hasn't mentioned idols once in the whole letter. So it's hard to know where he's coming from. But I think John is using this word idol to expose the fact that any false view of Jesus is an idol. Any false view of Jesus is a false god. And so that's a reminder that although if you're a Christian, you do believe in the real Jesus, and in him we meet the true God, we've got to be aware that anything less than that, anything less than the historical man, Jesus of Nazareth, Who is also the Son of God, without without the reality of the baby in the manger, without acknowledging that this real baby is also really the Son of God, God of God and light of light, without recognizing that, then you've got yourself an idol. Jesus, who's reduced to a good man, is an idol. Jesus, who's reduced to a wise teacher, is an idol. Jesus, who's reduced to nothing more than a prophet, is an idol, a false god. And John's been saying all along that we don't need to to listen to anyone who says it's okay to reduce Jesus down. Because we know we have eternal life. And so we know that we have encountered the true God. Because we've come to Jesus. So we know that there's no spiritual experience or secret knowledge that can bring us more authentically Godward. Nothing more authentic in Christianity is more authentic than meeting the carpenter, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And John wants you to be confident in that. He wants you to know that that is your blessing if you have eternal life. That's that third thing. That in and of itself is divine revelation and it guards you from false belief. Well, this week, I am going to get myself a free coffee. And on Friday, probably a free pizza or sausage roll. And when I do get my free coffee and pizza, I'll be reminded that discovering, rediscovering, privileges that are mine to use straight away is an exciting and a wonderful thing. And I'll be reminded that John has written this profoundly encouraging letter to the church so that we can know we have eternal life. If you're a Christian, that's yours already. But I'll also be reminded that because of that, then I get to experience some of that eternal life right now. And I hope you remember that too. Dear children, you have eternal life. And you get to experience the blessing of that. So enter into that confessing, forgiving community with other Christians and live like you have eternal life by approaching God in prayer four other Christians, and give them the chance to do the same for you. Dear children, you have eternal life, and so live like you have eternal life by depending on the Son of God, who you know will keep you from evil, from facing temptation and sin that will overcome you in your life. You know he's with you, and dear children, you have eternal life, so be confident that you encounter God authentically in Jesus the Christ of Nazareth and guard yourselves from anything less let's pray Father God thank you that um, you have brought us to yourself through giving us Jesus and that you haven't given us something that is a, a kind of a salvation that does something after we die And that's it. Thank you, Lord, that you bring us, not a ticket to heaven, but a relationship with you. That is eternal, and we look forward to eternal life in all its fullness. But thank you so much, Lord, that you bring us into eternal life now. And we can live in the good of that. That we can, if we have eternal life, we can approach you. We can... Pray in such a way that it is going to encourage and help one another to deal with sin in community. Thank you that we have eternal life and you've given us this eternal life right now, this relationship with you that you promised to protect us from being overwhelmed by evil. And thank you that you have given us this eternal life, this relationship with you right now that means we can really know you and we can be absolutely sure of the truth of knowing you. Father God, we pray that your spirit will work this into our hearts, will change our hearts more and more so that these blessings become some things that, that we, we know we can't live without. Help us to savour these things and live in the good of the eternal life that we have. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.